Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. to another episode of Tales from the Forlorn Dopes. I am Cyber Smiley with my ho- co-host. I am Wisdom Greetings Programs. It is good to see you for yet another uh, installment. Yeah, so um, I guess we can get some news out of the way. So um, <clears throat> I did a release over the weekend. Um, I created a quick um, app for the digital dating in the dark future. Uh, PDF DLC so you can go over there and start generating dates Um, kicking around an idea of expanding that table which I really should because it definitely should have some type of uh, bad dating experience in which you gain enemies or lose cash or do something else that uh, gets you in trouble maybe get hunted by a corporation just embarrass yourself that should be there yep um <clears throat> so that went over the weekend. Also, I did a bunch of uh, bug fixes and a few changes to the uh, character generator and, and combat tracker for uh, Cyberpunk 2020. <clears throat> hmm. Just had the idea of a Cyberpunk one-shot based on the movie uh, the Bruce Willis, Kim Basinger movie blind date john larroquette (laughs) (laughs) yeah i could see that yeah yeah i think it would work um yeah the other thing that uh um and i don't know if it dropped this week or if it was been there for a while but uh hbo max now has the blade runners black lotus I just saw, oh it does uh, yeah I just saw the first three episodes um, so far I'm liking it uh, it's kind of like the not as cartoonish as the go- new Ghost in the Shell but similar I'm, type of style to that 
the animation of the new Ghost in the Shell never bothered me. What bothered me was the ridiculous Mary Sue character. Like that is, she's just the most obnoxious, obnoxious and unnecessary character addition to any series I've ever seen in my life. She's like that Oliver kid from the Brady Bunch. Just like, <laughs> wow. For those who don't know, the Oliver kid from the Brady Bunch, we're dating ourselves. Yeah, horribly, horribly. Oh my God! Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's the whole premise of the show: is we're two old farts who yeah. bitch about games. <laughs> but you didn't think um, that Tachikoma were kind of a uh, annoying. I love the Tachikoma. They, I mean, they had flaws. They weren't. Uh, they were childlike in their in their outlook on the world because they were basically brand new AIs. But like they they were never. They never really hurt the story. This chick, every time she opens her mouth, it just hurts the story. Like, she is some weeboo nonsense that just doesn't belong in Ghost in the Shell, like, at all. Um, plus, like I said, she doesn't have any... She's she's a Mary Sue. She's She was brought on because she was a, apparently a hacker, which... I don't know why the team needs a hacker when they've got Kusanagi on board, but or uh, or you know Ishikawa, <laughs> the dedicated hacker Ishikawa. Yeah. Uh, so apparently she's a super hacker, and then last the like the last couple of episodes of twenty forty five, we find out she can also fight well enough to keep up with Kusanagi and Bateau. Yeah. Like, how the hell does that work? Like, why does this? Oh, I hate her. <laughs> Um, she is what ruins the show for me. I liked the premise of the show. I liked the plot. I liked the storyline. Um, I, I very much enjoyed hearing the voice actors come back. Uh, I liked seeing the characters again. I didn't mind the CGI, mostly because we haven't had... like That's just the way everything's going. Especially everything Shiro for some reason. I don't know why the only animated apple... With like six apple seeds out there... Only one of them is traditional animation. The rest are all CGI. Yep. I don't know why, but that's the way that works. Um, I still love those. Like, Appleseed is still my favorite uh, manga of all time. And always, I, I can't imagine anything ever topping it. Just like Bubblegum Crisis is, is my favorite anime franchise of all time. So, with Appleseed coming in a fairly close second. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, well, I'll, I'll definitely have seen them all by the next episode and give some, a little more feedback. Yeah. No. I'll review. Probably start watching those as soon as this episode ends. <laughs> I am. Uh, I've been very much looking forward to watching those. Um. It's not quite cyberpunk news, but the GTA uh, update for PS5 just dropped. Um, following in the footsteps of uh, games like, you know, Cyberpunk and uh, Borderlands, Far Cry, they up least, uh, uh, unleashed upon the world the uh, PlayStation 5 version. Now, there's some problems with that. Mainly, if you upgrade to the PS5 version, it deletes all previous, like, you can never go back and play it on PS4 again. It deletes those saves from the cloud. Um, which is kind of the suck. I get why they do it, 
uh, kind of. It doesn't really make, I don't agree with the reasons they do it. I would think there would be some kind of uh, better limiter that they could put on there to keep you from going back and forth. But it also means you can't, while waiting for your play, your friends to buy a PS5, you can't go back and play with them without starting over from scratch, which I don't know many people who want to do that. Um, but the graphics update, yeah, it runs at 4K, 60 frames per second, and it looks and feels amazing. Nice. The new stuff they added, like the graphic update is really the, is really the main draw right now. There's like five cars that they added. None of them are all that special. I do like the new paint feature. Uh, they should have added more variety to it. Uh, I think there's... I don't, I don't remember how many paints off there are off the top of my head, but it's pretty. But that's really about all they added. Um, the new cars and, and like four of the old ones get performance upgrades, but that's about it. Uh, so don't, there's no reason to rush out and do it. Um, right now it's free, though. Uh, if you have a copy of PlayStation or of GTA on uh, PlayStation 4, you can upgrade for free if you've got a PS5. So if you've got it, do it. If not, uh, there's no rush. There's certainly not enough new content there at all to make it worthwhile. It's more of just uh, playing on next-gen type thing. It does. It is really pretty, though. So it changes the feeling of the game. Um... Apparently, there's some other new cyberpunk game coming out uh, called uh, Ascend. Um, that's going to be like a top-down isometric type thing. But for all that, it looks pretty good. Those aren't my; those aren't typically my games. Like I don't, I don't do a lot of playing. I tried to play Ghost Runner. Um, But if you're playing with a group of people, like if you want to get that old school uh, gauntlet vibe in the cyberpunk world, yeah, that it'll work for you. Um, check it out. The graphics look fucking amazing for a for a isometric top down game like that. Yeah, check it out. The other thing that's coming out is uh, this thing called DMZ, which I haven't been a big comic book fan for a while, but I guess it's. Uh, a DC property. Um, it was a it was a Vertigo property, which is if you don't if the listeners don't know, Vertigo was like the adult line of DC comics. It's where comics like Sandman and the Preacher came from. Um, I fucking loved the DMZ comic. Um, the whole premise is that it there's been a civil war in the United States, uh, and like one of the last battlegrounds is is New York, Manhattan, uh, the five boroughs. Um, I, I, I cannot overstate how much I loved the original comic. Uh, that being said, this new version stars Rosario Dawson and doesn't, other than the general like location and setting, I, I'm not seeing any real similarity between the comic and the new show. Uh, now, the setting is is amazing. Um, and I'm assuming that there'll be some background characters. But, like, 
in the comic, the main protagonist was a dude who was a journalist. I don't know what's going. Pardon me, what's going on with uh, with the TV show? I know I will be watching it um, and giving it a shot because, like I said, I, I very much loved the comic. Um, that being said, I also loved Why the Last Man, the comic, and Why the Last Man, the TV show is just fucking awful. Like. I wanted to like it so very much, but I, I got like four episodes in and finally I just gave up because I hated every single character on the show. Yeah. Like there's nobody who's sympathetic. Yeah. And that can happen with, you know, any adaptation, whether it's going from one media to the other, that there is going to be some changes that need to be done to, to fit into that media. And also, there's always that <laughs> crunch of, well, we need to squeeze, you know, something that really should take longer, whether it's a bigger page count or a longer movie, and try to cram it into a smaller set. So they're taking, you know, five pounds of shit and putting it in a three-pound bag. Uh, I mean, you know, I get it. And I like, uh, I like things not being... Not being direct word for word adaptations. I mean, sometimes that's fun. Like, uh, sometimes it works out well. But I like it when they take a new spin on it. I, I liked, uh, we've spoken before about how much I love the uh, live action Cowboy Bebop. Um, and sometimes it works. Like, it worked for me with Cowboy Bebop. Uh, with, with Preacher, um, it didn't. It didn't work as well for me. Yeah. I thought everybody played their parts well, but I thought that they rushed through too many of the plots to, and focused on some of the like, some of the plots that I just didn't give a fuck about. Uh, and the plots that I did, I don't know. They either rushed through them or they drug them out too long, and I stopped caring. Um, and I was a big fan of the show up until. Basically, up until they got to New Orleans, then it just kind of they just kind of lost me. But I loved the woman who played Tulip. Uh, I thought the guy who played Cassidy was freaking perfect. Uh, I realized that Preacher is not a cyberpunk show, but it's I still it, it was it was good. It just it wasn't the comic. Um, but on the other hand, you've got a show like Good Omens, the Neil Gaiman property. Uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, and it was fantastic. Yep. They're doing a sequel. I don't know how that works. There was no sequel to the books, but um, but well, there might have been. I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, so yeah, uh, with DMZ, I I am very much looking forward to it. Um, yeah, like, we'll see. For me, I hope to get some inspiration because. The campaign I'm running right now is 2022, right? So they, they it's been in, in game, uh, it's been about six months of gameplay and they're starting to get into the beginning of the shadow war and you know, the shadow or the hot war came soon after. <clears throat> so I'm looking for like some, uh, inspiration details and things i can throw into the game because you know it's the the war between militech and arasaka is going to be heating up soon and 
especially for like Night City or Humongous City. I'd like to see nice. what DMZ does, uh, especially if it's being fought in Manhattan. Perfect kind of cut over <clears throat> to translate into say, Night City. Yeah, it's, I mean, with the original DMZ comic, it was all about a journalist covering the, uh, covering the last battleground, um, Republicans versus Democrat civil war bullshit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that the, the, that premise is every bit as relevant today as it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, if not more so, sadly. Oh, this was written back uh, in uh, the reign of Bush, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's weird uh, that... Yeah, I guess it's not weird. It's only two comics, but two of my favorite Vertigo cyberpunk-related comics were both about journalists. Uh, it And, of course, Transmetropolitan, which is my favorite book of all time. Um It, it felt like they're not the two pro the two products aren't in any way related. They don't have anything to do with each other, but it felt like a like DMZ felt like a spiritual successor to Transmet. Um, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. All right. So kind of you know we should. What's that? <sighs> What should we do? There are enough cyberpunk comics being released every week that we should like start thinking about talking about those more often. Um, or at least on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, hell, the actual Cyberpunk 2077 comic. Uh, um, that's there are still there's still one of those miniseries going on. Uh, there was a, comic, a couple comics that were provided with the game as DLCs, at least through God. Um, that I kind of started reading and I thought they were pretty um, well written. The art was definitely uh, nice. I, I enjoyed it. It was a little abstract, but I don't mind that. Yeah, I mean sometimes that works. Hell, my favorite my favorite artist of all time is Bill Sienkiewicz. And his stuff gets pretty abstract and surreal. So, yeah, we, um, we can probably do that. According to Capricious, he can he can barely hear you, pal. Barely this hear me. Not, I, I can yeah. hear you just fine, but Cap Capricious is apparently right. having problems. Are you having problems hearing me too, Cap? I can hear. Yeah, I can hear very good either. All right. Let's see if this works a little better. Also, uh, Chernobyl, there are a ton of cyberpunk webcomics out there. Um, you can... The uh, Last of the Atlases is pretty good. Um, I don't have a list of links for them in front of me, I'm afraid. Uh... Which is weird because I, I used to. Yeah, it might be uh, sounding far away because I didn't have the mic directly against me. I was uh, kind of 
kind of lounging. Bad posture in my chair, as it were. Is this a little better? If not, I can boost it a little. All more. right. Uh, apparently, I'm loud and clear. I don't know. Yeah. I said you sounded far away. Uh, I'm not hearing it, which is weird, because usually I'm the one who's all like, I can barely hear you, but no. Yeah, it all depends on the software. I think for for Discord, it's probably tweaked um, versus the OBS utility that I'm using to broadcast. So that, and I've put in a better posture and uh, <laughs> getting close up to the mic. So hopefully uh, this, as Capricia says, it's 100% better. Uh, or 10,000% better. So, I'll make sure to enunciate and no. talk directly into the mic going forward. Yeah, so, um, anything else before we get into tonight's topic that you want to uh, talk about? I think on the news, um, Yeah, without bringing people down, that's that's about uh, as much news as I want to discuss right now that I can think of. Yeah. There's, All right. There's probably more that will pop into my head as we go, but that's just the nature of the show. Yeah, we'll ramble and talk and diverge from the subject at hand. And... So tonight we are going to be doing a kind of review, deep dive into the Neo Tribe source book, something that is near and dear to. Uh, Wisdom. It is. It is one of my absolute favorite of the Cyberpunk 2020 uh, products. So it was written by Ross Wynn and Eric Oppen. Is that that's how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, your guess is as good as mine with that. I, I don't know how else you would pronounce it, uh, Eric Oppen. But yeah, Ross is a uh, Ross is a friend of mine. He's actually. Uh, He's the first of the Artal Saurian professionals that I made friends with, and I've always kind of looked at him uh, as like a big brother, kind of. Um, like, he took me under his wing. Uh, we, bounced, uh, every, we bounced ideas back and forth off each other for a while until basically health issues kind of kicked us both in the teeth. Um, I don't know how much... Uh, he doesn't seem to be as into gaming these days. He's he's pretty happy with his life, though. Uh, I don't know why I'm going on about that. Let me <laughs> get back to the... He wrote this book, and he was one of the many authors on... Uh, Listen up, you on the last book we reviewed, yeah. Listen Up, You Primitive Screwheads. Uh, he also has uh, the distinction of being the uh, the Solo of Fortune cover model. Uh, That's him. If you wanna, yes. Uh, Ross Spike Win. Um. Yeah, I I I love this book so very very much. Yep. Yeah. So uh, let's start getting into it. So chapter one is uh, Nomads in America, in which. It kind of starts getting into the nomad culture and a lot of the fluff and backgrounds. Um, there's also a timeline that takes you all the way to 2020 on how the nomad culture is 
developed, as well as the various types of nomad families you might encounter. Yeah, that's uh, it. This book is was so influential to me. I mean, I've written. I've tried to cover a lot of material on on Data Fortress. I, I've tried to uh, spread things out and introduce a bunch of stuff, but I have gone back to the well on uh, making personal expansions to this book twice now. One, the first time was uh, was pretty minor with a Nomad Market. It just allowed me to introduce this new element into my cyberpunk games. Uh, where then you know nomads have a place to gather outside certain major cities and stuff like that, basically shipping hubs. And the first one was about the Night City nomad market. But then I expanded that a few years later with uh, Dust and the Wind. Um, I I love nomads. I love running nomad campaigns. And this uh, this book is is where that that love originally blossomed. Like before this book, nomads were just kind of this. Uh, like okay, well we got this nomad we we got this Mad Max element in the game. Uh, they travel the badlands of America, and that was really all the information they gave us about nomads. This this book opened all that up, um, and this culture of nomads that this chapter that the first chapter talks about it. The amount of inspiration it gave me cannot be understated. Cyberpunk no longer had to be limited to city streets. Uh, it took a broader look at the cyberpunk world itself. And basically every chapter of this, I'm just going to go on a rant. So <laughs> go I ahead, will... my friend. Yeah. Uh... Oh, and to clarify, Ross was the cover for Solo of Fortune 2. He was the cover model on that. Um, not the I forget the guy's name for the cover of Solo Fortune One. Um, but yeah, we could mark it up as one of the questions uh, if we ever get Mike onto this uh, podcast, which I am going to try to attempt to do at some point. <laughs> I uh. Yeah, no, eventually I plan on uh, getting Ross on the show, um, or at least trying. Um, oh, hey, Cap, uh, yeah, I got you addicted to Nomads, huh? I take full responsibility for that. It's all me. Um, and yeah, <laughs> love running Nomads. That's the game I'm running you on right now, Will, is the cyberpunk uh, Nomad game. That you are. But yeah, I like how they broke down the various types of, like... Um... Agripax uh, versus Native Americans versus Gypsies versus uh, the Carnies and the Bikers uh, as stereotypical yeah. kind of nomads. Um, and then talking about the, the actual structure of like what a family is and, and actually bringing numbers to that, which yeah. <laughs> I think the... So as a referee you can then take, okay, what does it mean to have a family 10, right? So if I'm a family 10, I'm going to be in charge of so many people and have so many resources. Um, 
and you can provide a little more structure and background to your nomad family of oh yeah my family is large and you know we're 95 members strong um yeah and knowing you have that type of resource to pull on we're part of this larger clan who is then again part of a tribe who is part of a nation i i love the way they broke it down um I had never even thought about it in that in in those terms before this book. Um, it really, like, before this book came out, everybody was all like, "Okay, nomads. They're just like Mad Max bikers and shit. They're 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 biker gangs. That's that's all they are." But this book came out, and it it expands on that. Like, nomad culture has always been a thing. Um, like you like you said the the gypsies the agricor i like migrant workers in america have always been a part of american culture um and that's on the large scale uh, on the smaller scale um you've got like the dudes who follow the dead or the or fish around like those are nomads like if you if you follow a, a band on tour that is a very nomadic lifestyle and if you've ever been to a dead lot <laughs> Holy fucking shit, is that a nomad lifestyle? Um, I guess it's a fish lot now. I, I'm not a fan of fish, so. Although their live music is, is very much different from their... from their... Uh, recorded, like, studio stuff. Oh, I think... Uh, like, yeah, and that's... That could be part of a family, right? Yeah, you, you have a, a rocker. Oh, absolutely! A rocker girl who's leading or leading the charge, and <clears throat> and in fact, the one uh, the one time I tried to run a rocker campaign, uh, it it crossed over. Basically, they were the like a punk rock version of the Grateful Dead, uh, and they get crossed over into nomad territory quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so it, it's definitely worth a read for the chapter one. Um, even the, the interview between the, um, the nomad and the media, you can glean a lot out of it and kind of gives you that flavor. And I think a lot of the, the source books have kind of those sections of <clears throat> a person in the situation that the book's about, giving feedback of their life um, around it, which I always liked and kind of brought me a little closer in-game in and how I'd like to run my games. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, this first chapter is pretty much all nothing but flavor text. Hell, most of the book is really just flavor text. Um, not all of it. There's, well, I, that's why I said most. I mean, there's there's some, there's some rules, there's some tech, but really, it's the flavor that that just makes this book shine. Yeah. Um. It, it if it if you're looking for some kind of inspiration for a different direction to take your cyberpunk game, this is where you'll find it. And at the end of the chapter, <laughs> they have a map of the U.S., which, I don't know, I, I know we, we are, or 
we are in the U.S. and the company Artosarian is U.S.-based, but it would have been nice to have seen like all of North America, right? Because I think yeah, in the it's... future, a lot of the borders just aren't there anymore, you know, and they're very blurred. It's 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 a reprinting of the map from you know uh, Land of the Free. Yep. Um, and this book really. If if you've got Neo Tribes, you really also want to have uh, Home of the Brave um, because they kind of bookend each other. Uh, Neo Tribes is all about the fringe society living in uh, the rural areas of America. And so you want a, a greater grasp of... America that the home of the brave source book provides, especially if you're nomads traveling from state to state. Um, so yeah, seeing the map reprinted uh, with, uh, with extra nomad notes yeah. is great. Um, it's not such an issue now, but man, the only complaint I have about this map and the, it's the same complaint I had about, uh, the land of the free map is it doesn't list the state names on the states which because there's new states like northern california southern california and like the state some of the boundaries have changed a little bit it, it would be nice if if they threw some clarity in there um plus you don't remember your was, geography like, from third grade? Yeah, geography was <laughs> geography's not necessarily my strong point here. Um, I, I know where most of the states are, but you start getting up into those little tiny New England bullshit, and it starts getting hard to tell which one's which. Well, so being from the Northeast, you know, I, I yeah, often, the other I often coast. hear people like, Oh, where are you from? Connecticut. Oh, where's that? Oh, it's, you know, in the Northeast, New England. It's like, oh, so you're from the state of New England. It's like, there is no state no of New England. <laughs> I blame the Patriots for that, along with many other things. It's Boston, pretty much, is the big st city that after New York. Yeah. <clears throat> the rest of it is the wilds of New Hampshire, Vermont, and Mass or Maine. I mean, shit, this map, this map is handy. I like this map. Yeah. Um, I like the notes that they've placed on it that uh, pertain to nomads, because yeah. you know what pertains to most of your cyberpunk characters, like your 2020 characters. If they do leave Night City, they're just pretty much usually going to other large cities. Um, I like I like the areas in between. Yeah. Like that is just untapped potential. And then the second chapter actually gets into the seven nations, or eight nations, as it were, of the nomads. Um, and kind of goes into this, detail with them. With uh, I, I am constantly expanding um, upon these ideas in my games. Uh, I did it with nomad. I did it with uh, nomad market, where I, I went into greater detail about what these nations are. Um, and I, I further expanded that with, with dust in the wind. I, I, 
I love the way they've broken this stuff up. And let's let's go ahead and take it one at a time. Uh, the first nation they go into is the Snake Nation. Um, the Snake Nation is what most PCs are, are typically going to fall into. They're not... They're basically... That's your lone wolf. Yeah, uh, lone wolf nomads. Small, smaller families that aren't beholden to any real cause or... Uh, or predictability, for that matter. Like... Um, the other nations, they've they've all got their niches. They, they, this is what they do. Typically, this is their purview. Uh, the Snake Nation just kind of is everybody else. Yep, yeah, it's a conglomeration with one guy who believes or, or thinks he's uh, or they nominated as their leader, but they're but he's not really their leader. Um, well, yeah, because there is no leader. They're, they they have a the way I expanded on it with the um, with with uh, with my source books online at Data Fortress is that uh, the snakes just kind of elect some representatives to uh, on the nomad councils to keep things running smoothly and to represent the unrepresented nomads. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I really liked about, well, a lot of the, the background stuff is how our Talsorian and all the various authors and writers took the current state of what was going on in the U.S. and tried to ex extrapolate how the various cultures from various areas in the states. Yeah. Um, evolved into either the nomads or some other organization and taking that on uh, but yeah the snake nation to me is definitely uh, a modge podge of the uh, more I don't know unorganized uh, families and clans within within the whole nomad community but it's interesting because uh, you know the 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 jodes and some of the not the jodes um well the jodes and, and there was one other nation that well, that i was reading about they kind of have the same mentality in which they're kind of all different organizations and slowly they came together to to form this nation yeah um, I, you know, I'm, and I made some slight changes in the way I interpret this stuff. Yeah. Uh, just so there wasn't, you know, me in redundancy. I, uh, yep. um, so for me, the, the snake nation just became this union for dudes who don't want to be part of a union. <laughs> yeah. Um, up with really feel like the, the, like, I feel like the Snake Nation should have been described after the other nations. I get it needed to either be first or last, and I, I, I think it would have been better if it was last. 
Well, I think uh, they put it first because in the book. it's the biggest one, right? Yeah, by far, because it's, yeah. Um, yeah, every uh, every little biker uh, biker club or uh, agricultural family or whatever who doesn't want to be beholden to a larger group, this is where they all end up. Yeah. Uh, so whether it be the lone biker, like I said, the most of the the largest number of uh, Cyberpunk twenty twenty nomad PCs typically come from the Snake Nation uh, because it's less for the player to think about. And if the player is just playing a nomad in a typical Cyberpunk twenty twenty game, it's less it's less effort overall for everybody involved. They still get the richness of being a nomad without having to worry about greater ideals and allegiances. Yep. And then you have the uh, Jodes. The Jodes... I, I, I like the Jodes. I, I like the idea of the Jodes. Well, I mean, I'm going to say that for every freaking one of these uh, nations. You're just going to have to get used to it, people. Um... Yeah, the Jodes are cool. So they're more of an agri or agri pack nomad clan. Yeah, they're the they're the migrant agricultural workers. They're the fruit pickers and uh, rogue farmers. Um, like everybody wants to treat cyberpunk like okay, well, there's no fresh produce anymore uh, unless you're a, a corporate. But that doesn't make any sense to me because there's still even with all the problems that have gone down in Cyberpunk 2020 America, there are still vast swaths of rural landscape where, you know, you can put up your own farm and keep it out of touch enough that you can still grow shit. And nomads are going to do that. Um, they're going to sell their goods. They're going to make have quite a lucrative business. Um selling organic produce to like the high-end restaurants um or they're going to be migrant families who do work for the corporations because well you know it can't come from prison labor so so i think the the concept around farming is that there is no land really owned by private <sighs> citizens anymore right the, the the land is was gobbled up by the megacorps whether they wanted to sure. use it for uh, producing food or, or housing people or just have land, right? Because it is a commodity. Um, it's a very sure, but it's owned on that, you know, paper and and what like outlaws actually can take advantage of. Or, pardon me, two different things. I got some burps right now. Right, so I, I don't okay. see the. And again, you know, because of the droughts that happened in the 20-teens, um, mm -hmm. basically destroyed all the majority of farming land in the Midwest. Um, yes, there's probably farming land on, on either coast. But again, I think the corp corporations bought up as much of the land as they could. So therefore... I don't think there is a concept of a, a private farmer or even 
a nomad family owning a piece of land. Um, well, I mean, like I said, it's an outlaw thing in, in my eyes. Like we're going to disagree on this, but I, I see, I see nomad farms as not being these, like they don't own the land. Um, they 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 find a piece of arid land and they cultivate it and they try and keep it under the radar, knowing that at any point the corporations can swoop in and just bulldoze it to the ground or steal all their hard work. Yeah. But there's like there's gonna be enough land that finding small patches and being able to farm out the land even or even, you know, run cattle um and have a ranch. Like these are going to be they're not going to be huge, which is why the Jodes are one of the smaller nations. Right. Um, but it's still going to be viable. I mean, yeah, there was a drought and it fucked up America's farmland, but it's not the first time that's happened in America. We had the Dust Bowl. We bounced back from it. Eventually, like, you bounce back from anything, really. Yeah. Um, There's other things happening during the Dust Bowl besides just uh, the Dust Bowl. You well, know? sure. Sure, I'm just saying, you know, there was also massive die-offs, which means there's less foods, or less food that you have to worry about producing. Uh, I, I, the idea of rogue farms and all that is is one I'm personally very interested in, uh, and you will, not to spoil anything for upcoming games, but that will become a part of the Nomad game that I'm running you on. Uh <laughs> I got a sneak peek. <laughs> you got a sneak peek. Yeah. Um, probably gonna not the last one that's gonna happen while we're reviewing this book, but plus, it, it, like I said, uh, like not all the corporate farm labor, not all of that's gonna come from prisons. Like, there's always going to be a market for, you know, skilled laborers who are willing to work off the books and under the table. Uh, that's 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 capitalist America in a nutshell, um, and corporations are going to demonize uh, nomads while at the same time exploiting them every bit as much as they can. Right. Yeah, and then also in the Jode section, they talk about the wild wildling uh, concept, which I think takes a um page from like the Amish and the Mennonites in which you know, yeah. the teenagers go off and live in the rural world for a year or so and then come back yeah it's uh, the Rumspringer it's, it's the nomad version of that kinda um, but even more than that it's like the wilding is not it's in the Jode section, but it's not tied to any one nation. It's it's nomads get a hankering for what life is like in the city and go give it a shot. Or they just want to cause some problems. That's the other upside is, you know, sometimes that's, you know, the dare. Uh, I mean, nomads, they, they like to have fun just as much as anybody else. If part of being on the move all the time means that you don't have roots, you don't have uh, you don't have any online. You're off the grid, as it were. 
sometimes going into the city and fucking some shit up is is the way to, is the way to kill a weekend. And again, those, you know, they they use that kind of um, concept to kind of make the refs and the players understand, hey, this is another area in which your nomad character can come from, or or why he is in Night City or whatever location. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a great concept. It it is definitely, you know, you can start a whole a whole campaign just off of one of these incidents. Um, it could be a way to introduce uh, a nomad character to the larger group, um, to whatever your group of edge runners currently is. It, it can. Yeah, it, it, it's something you you should definitely take a look at if you're uh, looking for ideas. Um, wilding is is fun, um, and every like there's no single definition for what wilding is, but it's also it's also one of the reasons that um, nomads as a whole are all treated like the rap and shit is because occasionally even the good nomads go a little bit apeshit. Then we get into the Bloods Nation, which I think is the most fun <laughs> uh, nation was... and how it was developed throughout the, uh, the <laughs> Yeah. It's, uh, it's got some pretty weird starts, um, basically. It, it hypothesizes, well... America collapsed. What happened to Disney World? Well, um, it's not that. You know, they, they, they started off as literally the bloods of... Sure, the, the sure. Solid. I mean... And, and they eventually migrated into well, Disney. Disney. Like, that's, that's part of the whole... Like, I don't know why, but that... A bunch of, a bunch of gangbangers taking over Disney World and becoming... Becoming nomads in that regard just amuses me to no end. When I was when I was first reading the book way back in the nineties, they were the they were of all the nations, they were the ones I had the hardest time wrapping my head around. But as I've gotten older, uh, they make the most sense. They went from being gangbangers to being mobile entertainers. They are I hate to use the term gypsy, and I'm not meaning this as a slur, but more like the classic interpretation of it, where just, you know, wandering uh, nomads, carnival folk, basically. Yeah, the the original nomads. Um, they get by going from place to place and putting on shows and putting on fairs. And like, these are where your Grateful Dead uh, type nomads come into play. Uh, plus they've still got all the gangster contacts. I mean, those are just a lot of crime, a lot of gangs in, in the cyberpunk world and, and yep. the bloods. Well, not while while the actual cyberpunk 2020 book doesn't try to tie itself into any real world gangs. This is in fact, one of the very few times in the, in the cyberpunk 2020 franchise that they do do that. Um, they do it effectively. Well, the the other thing, and 
you know, this is going back some time, is actually using Disney and Walt Disney Corporation. Um, to, today's standards, you know, you can't enter. Uh, yeah, you, you gotta <laughs> product. You gotta allude and, and like, um, Ricky Rat instead of Mickey Mouse. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but. They also talk about, you know, they incorporate the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey circus into yeah. it. Like, that's part of the Blood Nation. Uh, also, little did they know circus. that, you know, the circus would be dead by uh, by the turn of the century. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you don't see a lot of circuses anymore. Um, or what you do see... I was never a personal fan of the circus. Um, just they're very tacky. Uh, I like the idea of them. I like the talent involved, yep. but I don't like clowns. <laughs> and then Cirque du Soleil came along, and I was like, "Well, wow, okay, it doesn't have to be tacky. It can be super artistic and awesome." Yeah. Um, but yeah, that all falls under the purview of the nomads and. You know, even Cirque du Soleil, which is as artistic and uh, I don't want to say high class because that sounds pretentious as fuck, but yeah, you get what I'm talking about. Um, even they would fall under the purview of nomad culture. Yep. It's a traveling show. I mean, in today's age, if we had to rewrite it, I could definitely base the bloods more out of Las Vegas than Disney. Because I think Las Vegas with the amount of and, and the variety of uh, shows and talent and you know, just putting on shows. I mean, Vegas has got its own set of problems and who's to say that the bloods didn't take advantage of that? Yeah. Um, I think they started it with Disney, with uh, Florida just because, well, Disney's a huge complex and it's it's basically its own city. Um, I mean, Disney, when you look past the surface of it being an amusement park, the complex is actually kind of terrifying. They've got like a huge system of tunnels underneath and uh, access to all this technology that, you know, makes it makes for interesting cyberpunk plots. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it's spread out across America, so yeah, they could definitely throw down big roots in uh, Vegas. Um, water parks across the country. I mean, Six Flags is out there. Yep. Uh, I like the idea of traveling nomad circuses where, you know, most kids are never going to, like, zoos aren't as big of a thing like they never talk about zoos in in the cyberpunk world. So like, where to? Well, the whole concept that most the majority of animals died off, right? Um, yeah, but I could see some nomads like still having maybe an old elephant that they care for and that. Uh, I I can see it. Like these are plot points that run around in my head. Not necessarily maybe the same for other people, um, but then again with Data Fortress, I was. I didn't pay as I, I wasn't as strict with some of the timeline as uh, some people would have liked. Um, my interpretation is my interpretation. Yeah. Um, 
I try and keep as much as I can compatible with what's going on in the cyberpunk world, but I've never made, I, I've never even tried to pretend that it's a 100% like what's written in the books is the same as what's in my game. In fact, I, I contradict that stuff all the time. Yeah, for, um, for either me, out of fun with like okay. zoos and why zoos would have <laughs> disappeared is you know after the crash when what well, a third of the, of America was now made homeless I could see riots and people breaking into zoos and basically butchering the animals for meat um just because you know you know, I can see that in a lot of the zoos, but I can also see in other zoos, like whole malicious forming of people who want to protect the animals. Yeah. Like, I mean, people love their critters. I love my critters. Um, yeah, and if I were a zookeeper, I, I've known some, I've known some people who work in zoos and in, uh, in like animal um, sanctuaries and stuff. Their love for those animals, that they'd kill some motherfuckers to protect them. Um, and I would support that. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's the thing with nomads is it takes all kinds and there's all, there's as many plot ideas for nomads as, as you can pull out of your, out of the air, honestly. Yeah. And now uh, the next nation is the meta nation. And I, to me, I reading the history, I understand why they're kind of a, or considered a nomad group, but for me, they're not anywhere near nomad anymore, right? It's. I mean, the whole point behind Meta is that they're like this militaristic corporation that formed out of a, a bunch of vets from the South American conflict. Um, I I expand on that uh, with you know with Dust in the Wind and Nomad Market. Um, just to bring them back more in line with the nomad concept and that sure that's that's they're made up of veterans and yeah they're the like the corporate arm of the nomad community but in in my eyes in addition to this militaristic aspect of them and uh, they act as the liaison between the other nomad nations and and the corporations who employ them um just to bring it it back more in line so yeah they look a little bit more professional they uh they sell products they they have their own arms manufacturing and all that um but at the same time they're working for the betterment of the nomad community uh in my eyes because most of, they're all survivors of the long walk and well i i i get that right that they traveled and however like in the book they created their own man-made island and to me it's i often think of what are they called meta meta not meta keys is it yeah meta key um yeah that's that's what the like olympia of uh apple seed right and it's a uh... controlled city has external That's, people coming in, but it's also very ruled kind of that way. Yeah, that's not really how I've ever seen it. Um, personally, uh, for me, Medici is just 
they're they in the Gulf of Mexico. They've taken over some oil well or some abandoned uh, oil rigs um, and brought in you know boats and basically just created this giant floating city out in the middle of the ocean. And uh, while they obviously control the the governing of said place, I mean it's it's like a nomad safe haven offshore outside outside the purview of the United States. It's uh, I, I I don't know. I, I see it as these giant floating rust things similar to Waterworld. The uh the the floating cities in Waterworld. That's that's how I see it more like it, it's governed by the meta and like they obviously keep it supplied and whatnot. But I would imagine that any meta that Medicaid itself is just as full of uh the thetas as as metas. Um well plus any any nomad who goes on the like it would be the perfect waypoint for what I'd term the nomad underground railroad. Yeah, but for for me, you're not a nomad nation if you have your own island and you have your own home base. You know. Um, well, I mean, it's like the nomad markets. Um, you gotta, if you're gonna have any kind of corporation at all, you've got to have some central. Uh, some central point of of shipping and and consolidation. Uh, it's and even in the book they describe like these are not your typical nomads. These uh, yeah, have, they kind of have their own agenda. Um, I don't know. It adds variety. It adds flavor. Um, plus, they it's nomads who hire themselves out as mercenaries. Um, having a bunch of mercenaries you can rely on that corporations or other other shady groups can rely on who are completely off the books, um, completely uh, like plausible deniability is the name of the game with with the meta. Like you can hire a no uh, meta squad and send them to certain doom, and as long as the pay goes through, nobody really going to say anything. Yeah, so uh, Meta are basically the corporization of the nomad, of one nomad nation, I think. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the veterans flock to. Um, I can see a lot of Meta hiring themselves out as outriders for and security for other nomad families. Um, that's their specialty is... Corporate liaisons and 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 military force and technology. That's what they do. Now we move into the made famous by Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, the Aldicados. They have always been my favorite nomad family. These, the Aldicados, they focus on smuggling. They are your typical, like when you think of nomads as. They're what you think of. They moving from place to place. They do the interstate shipping, the smuggling. Uh, 
I love Alec Caldwell so much. And for them to have such a high focus in Cyberpunk 2077, where I'm basically playing the video game version of, uh, as close to my favorite PC as I can get. Yeah. I, it just makes me... I want to squee like a little girl. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to restrain myself right now. I love the Aldecaldos so very much. Um, yeah, and I think like the Snake Nation, they're kind of another atypical uh, nomad, right? When people think of it. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're your they're your stereotypical like. Uh, like I said, they're the nomads who are, you know, they're always on the move. They're they're the they're what you think of when you think of nomads. Um, large convoys moving moving people and things from place to place. Uh, sometimes above the books, private contractors and shippers, and smugglers. They're the ones who know all the secret byways and highways of America. They're the, they're my favorite nomad family. Um, and you first got your, you, they're, they're also what you first got a glimpse of in the 2020 source book with, uh, or even the 2013 source book with, uh, Santiago. with nomad Santiago, um, who later becomes the leader of the Alda Caldos. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A little history is uh, Johnny Silverhand and Rogue hooked up with this group when they fled back in, uh, in 2013 after uh, blowing up. Well, they didn't blow up our socket at that time. But yeah. In the, uh, in the short story, Fade Away, yeah. um, which you get to replay in the Cyberpunk 2077 video game. You get to meet Nomad Santiago. He plays, he, he's very much downplayed. But that's because the video game, the flashbacks are told from Johnny's point of view, where he's, of course, going to downplay the importance of Nomad Santiago and his relationship with Rogue uh, and, you know, promote himself, which is why he one shot kills everything because Johnny Silverhand is an egoist who, I mean, he's just a total fucking narcissist is what he is. Well, he also has a very big gun deadly gun so well yeah the Malorian Arms 3516 which was you, you find out about that in uh, Chromebook 1 like it was specially made for Johnny and then Malorian just decided to start selling them on their own and next we um, have the Salas uh, Nation which is the Maritime Nomads Similar to the Snake Nation. I, I, yeah, I called them Theta, but I meant Thela. Thelas. Oh, Thelas. Yeah. Like good Thelas. <laughs> I mean, honestly, these would be. The Thelas Nation is huge. Uh, and it, it covers all your, you know, fishermen. Uh,. Aquatic smugglers, um, shippers, uh, like anybody who's not 
tied down to like anyone who's not actively employed by a corporation uh, who works the water lanes is going to be a Thelus. Um, and I know they talk a little bit about pirates versus who they are, but I could also yeah, because I mean the Raff and Shiv operate yeah. on the water as much as they do everywhere else. Uh, I, if you've ever been to a coastal town, there's going to be a like the shipping or the fishing community in that coastal town is a very a very tight-knit um group even if they're selling their wares to corporations they they keep it as private as possible uh they are very distrusting of outsiders i know i used to uh and they're often made up of uh of minorities ethnic minorities um when i lived on the gulf coast like in the 80s Vietnamese fishermen were made up uh, made up huge communities uh, in you know Mississippi and Louisiana, um, Alabama, yep. all along all along the Gulf Coast. These uh, there were these huge Vietnamese communities. Um, there were you know there were still ethnic Cajun and Creole fishing communities. Um, if you head north. Uh, to like Maine or on the other side of the world uh, or other side of the U S uh, like Alaska and, and Washington, uh, those coast communities have, you know, have huge fishing communities. I mean, really it's, and these, that all falls under this purview, uh, private, uh, private shippers, um, Really, anybody who does business on the water, they're going to be Phyllis. And there's, it, it's sad that they're so underrepresented uh, in the books, um, because they would be just ubiquitous. Really, like they, they're everywhere. Um, even on the lakes, there would be there would be members who claim allegiance to the Thelus Nation, uh, and the rivers. I mean, yeah, anybody who plies the waterways, they they're. It really is a shame that there isn't more visual representation of nomads on the water, but nobody ever goes on the water in. So. Right, and I could see the Thelas being more multinational than, for example, the Aldecados or the Bloods. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> um, yeah, because I they shipping and smuggling like they're the ones who move back and forth from nation to nation. They've got no real, uh, no real boundaries at all. And I could see them being the foothold of the nomad nations into pretty much everywhere else on Earth. Yep. And then finally we have Folk Nation, which I, seems like they're they're more of a ambu ambiguous type of nation. Um, yeah. 
I mean, it seems um, like they're more geared towards rebuilding and construction, but it also talks about, you know, even getting into transportation like the albicados and... Yeah, there was a lot of overflow, like back and forth between, like the folk and the avocados are kind of like it. I kind of reversed them, whereas in in this book, actually, you know, I, I went on a long big rant about avocados being uh, the transportation guys, when in reality, in the book. The Aldecaldos are the salvage and construction guys, and the the folk are the construction guys. In my game, I reversed it. It just it made more sense. Um, and I've I've been running my game my way for so very long that sometimes I forget that it's again that it's contradictory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, in in my game, the folk nation and it it's hints about this. Uh, the folk nation is all about construction and salvage. Like they're the ones who go into Chicago. They're the ones who go into, you know, Manhattan. Um, if you play in the time of red, they're the ones who'd be rebuilding night city. Uh, it, it, it talks about the folk, um, and their origins as being, like part of the black community. Uh, I, I don't know why that's, that's, I don't know. They, they, it kind of, again, crosses their, their origins with the bloods. So there's just all this kind of weird stuff. Um, so yeah, I kind of, in, in my expansions to the world, I, I, I solidified them as the salvage and construction experts. Just, it made more sense to me. Um, They've got a very rich history in the book, and I definitely recommend reading it. Um, Yeah. Agreed. I mean, and that's the thing about all these nations is the, the history is very... It's an interesting read on all of them and kind of gives you a better understanding of the nomad culture and the diversity. Um, Yeah, in my head, all these abandoned communities that, you know, as everybody pushed to get back to get into the cities um, during the collapse, like they're the ones who go through those old towns and like strip it for everything it's worth. And of course, the Eighth Nation, which technically isn't a nation because they are. They, they don't have no representation. Representation um, is the Raffin Shiv, which is basically the marauders and pirates of the world. Um, yeah, they are. They are the Mad Max biker gangs that haunt your uh, post apocalypse fueled nightmares. Um, they are the Hell's Angels. They are really any criminal. They are the criminal element in the nomad community. They don't have, like, like he said, there's, they're not, they're, they're not a nation per se, as they're just the nomads that everybody else doesn't want to associate. With. Um, 
they're your bad guys, folks, uh, and they're good bad guys. They're highly diverse. They're as diverse as you want them to be. They can be anything from the leather-clad uh, bikers to, you know, some hillbillies living in the woods and, you know, hijacking whatever they can. Um, everything from, like I said, from from bikers and from from... From Hell's Angels to, you know, like the Reavers from Firefly would be Raph and Shiv. Yeah. Uh, All the enemies Smokers from Waterworld. Yeah. Uh, they're, your, they're, your, they're the bad guys, folks. And uh, they're fun. Um, and it's a shame that they were only given... Mad- less than half a page of, of yeah well i mean there's I'm, i mean i'm having a hard time saying they're the bad guys in, in any in in uh there's only so many ways you can say they're the bad guys folks uh there's they, they, they're too diverse to try and like rope down with any kind of description but at the same time, they're uh, stereotypical in that they're they're all the nomads that they're all the negative stereotypes of of nomads you see out there. Yep, and I think that's one of the misses of this book is that they didn't really dive into the Raffenshiv, um, because they are, you know, definitely opposed to any players uh group so to have like uh generic yeah. for them kind of like in uh protect and serve you know you had a listing for all the various gangs and and what to expect uh stat wise from those gang members and what kind of equipment you know i actually like that they don't provide like stat examples um, because unless you're actually running, trying to run an adventure, you don't really need that. I mean, they're going to be all over the board. There's no, there's no, there's no stereotypical stat for a for a Raff and Shiv or for a gang member. I mean, they'll they'll have some similar equipment within their respective criminal underground groups, but like stat wise. That's going to be all over the place. I, I, like I get that, next. right? I understand that you know the the, the stat wise, they're they're going to be over the place, especially from um, at least I want to say realistic view, right? However, you're still looking at a game, right? And and the game, and I think it's something that cyberpunk has always been kind of faulty of is what how can I balance out an encounter right and in my opinion I don't believe in game balance when it comes to NPCs etc but there are those referees who do want that example of this is a group that would take on your you know your beginning characters this is a group that would take on characters with this level of skill um and so on for 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 new uh referees getting into it 
to have a concrete example of hey here's a generic and yes you can always modify and expand on it and and make each one their own however you also want at least a base for new referees to go by it, it i'll agree that it would have been nice to have you know some examples not necessarily statted but like just a a, a quick write-up of you know personalities of different different raff and shiv like hey this guy's uh you know crazy nomad biker uh, crazy raff and shiv biker who uh he travels up and down these roads and this is his modus of operandi and over here we've got you know cannibal dave who you know travels the smugglers routes looking for wary traveler or unwary travelers um or we've got, you know, Slick Rick, who is a con man who will hire on with a nomad crew and then rob them blind. It would be nice to have some examples like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, I don't necessarily feel the need to stat out these enemies because what's, what's going to be appropriate for one group is not going to be appropriate for another uh, the best arbiter of you know what the pan what the players can handle is going to be the GM, so leave that to his purview. But I do like having character write ups. I, I like that. Um, so yeah, I I can get on board with what you're saying. Glad I could convince you. Right, so that kind of wraps up the, that chapter. Well, also as part of this chapter, as one of the side blurbs, they blurbs they they talk about nomads and education and how how important education is in the nomad community, um, and it goes it it details how uh, like nomads are typically better educated than everybody else. They have I don't want to use the term homeschooling because they're very community based, but yeah. Uh, one of the place, one of the I, I, one of the resources they constantly pick clean and and restock is educational materials. They're training the next generation because they no longer have the state to like. There's no longer public schools for them. That's not an option. They're constantly on the road, so they're constantly teaching the next generation. Uh, both. Uh, like if you want to talk to a, a historian and not get any kind of corporate bias or political bias, like talk to a nomad. Yep. Agreed. Um, and that was one of the definitely takeaways that kind of hit home was, you know, just because the city folk think they're uneducated, unwashed masses roaming the highways um scavenging the unwashed part is probably yeah. true <laughs> um they're also well not, not really because i mean yeah it's uh like everybody wants to like the static society those the the city dwellings easy going city folk uh they view nomads as being backwoods rednecks it's that's not the case um, they are they are more educated than the city folk in general. Uh, 
especially in terms of like history, they speak multiple. The, uh, most nomads will speak more than one language. Um, they're very literate. A lot of their like they hoard books. Like in, in, in I. They, they don't go into much detail about that, but in my game, yeah, medias or nomads hoard books. Any type of any type of literature they can get their hands on, uh, they preserve and protect. Um, it's there's not a lot of entertainment options on the open road. Um, not a lot of time for it either. So books are are the lifeblood of the community. They're they're. They don't do a lot of TV. They do books. Yep. So that's a, a wrap up on chapter two. The next chapter uh, gets into creating nomad characters. Um, and this introduced several different types of nomads, similar to Wildside with all the uh, fixer subtypes. Um, yeah, exactly. It, I think nomads did it a little more expansive right so based upon your role you got your own special abilities um whereas family is family and kith are kind of something that most nomads have but you know other nomad types will have uh the different special abilities like warriors having warpath um it was pathfinders with reconnaissance and runners with uh vehicles and yeah it was uh it was these descriptions of roles within the nomad community um that really led to the impetus of uh what i did with roles with interlock unlimited where you know multiple roles you can take as many as you want um because if you're if you're in the nomad community, sure you're going to develop a family score. Even if that's not, even if you come in as a solo, you're gonna make the contacts. You're gonna have the loyalty of your family. You're going to be able to call on them. But at the, at your heart, you're still a soldier. You're still the guy charged with you know being the gunslinger, um, or you're the doctor in the group. Uh, it just Multi-classing is in Interlock Unlimited came directly from from Neo Tribes and and these special nomad character roles. Well, I like the idea that the was it Interphase Volume Two, Number Two, I think introduced the concept of a, a dual role, right? In yeah, they took um, certain roles, nomad being one of them, corporate. Uh, cop I want to say there was one more and what you have you can take one of those roles and then you can take one of those follow up roles of I can be a corporate solo or I can be a nomad techie or I can be you know sure. a, a lawman netrunner um, and having I mean it, it... go ahead to me, the, like the nomad role, the corporate role, and the lawman role are really uh, a bigger description of your character in that they are part of an organization um, versus yeah. what they do within that organization. 
I mean, if you dedicate your life to being a representative of that organization, sure, I can. That's at that point it becomes its own its own role. But most of the people who work and live within that uh, profession or community, they actually do other stuff, like you were saying, like you know, if you're a, if you're in the military, by definition, you you you've had combat training. Um, but like, even if you're part of a combat squad, there's going to be a medic in there. There's going to be a radio operator. Uh, so you got your med tech and your, and your net runner. Um, there's going to be, you know, an officer, you've got your, your charismatic leader, uh, just as examples. Um, and that's every bit as prevalent in the nomad community. There's going to be medics. There's going to be educators. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be net runners. There's going to be solos. They're all part of the nomad community. They all uh, they all have that jumping on point. And yeah, that media or the interface issue too um, was the perfect stepping stone for what would become the way I do it with Interlock Unlimited. Uh, there was a lot of complaining. Or a, a, there was a big philosophy that was just like eliminate the roles altogether uh, because they they tie you down too much to any one thing. And I saw that point of view. Uh, but I also had the uh, point of view where, you know, if, if somebody dedicates their life to something or dedicates their lives to multiple things, like they definitely get better at that shit beyond just what would be expected as a skill. Like it, it becomes next level for them. Um, I like the idea of roles. I just hate the idea of being tied down to any one one role. So, well, and this book, the roles and classes and game systems. Um, I know some people are are kind of against it because, well, I want the freedom to do whatever I want, which is fine, but oftentimes you'll get. A table that is basically a cookie cutter of every single other of every single yeah. player, you know. Which is again why I went the way I did with Interlock Unlimited. So you can, instead of it tying you down to anything, it frees you up for everything. Right. While at the same time keeping the idea of roles on the table, because like I said, I like the idea of 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 roles, um, and really. The most important part of this section in Neo Tribes, uh, if you're playing 2020 as written, yes, it, it kind of lets you multi-class within the Nomad community. Um, but more importantly, it outlines different roles of individuals within the Nomad community. It talks about things that people may not have considered before, like shamans and outriders and scouts and... Uh, and like you said, and runners, um, wise men, uh, like, like mechanics, specialists, all these people who make up the nomad community who are absolutely essential for that community to run, but nobody ever gives much thought to them as individuals. Yep. And this, this book really fleshes that out. And if you're looking to play a nomad, it helps you figure out 
you know, what role you want your character to play within the Nomad community beyond just, you know, your Cyberpunk 2020 typical edge runner group. Exactly. Um, and then uh, the follow-up on this chapter, and one I'm sure you you like to see, is um, a, an actual life path dedicated towards the nomads. Oh, Lord. <coughs> oh, that's a good one, too. Um, now, it only really deals with, uh, like, family background. Uh, there's a motivation section, but it's pretty much identical to the one in the book really um there's not much when it comes time when it comes down to motivations for your character that's not really going to change much um but the family background and the life events that's that's where this really shines yeah um it's it's like the home of the brave book that gives you a military background option uh life path like it lets you it lets you plug in and play like okay well this year i spent even if you're a static even if even if you're a city dweller if for some reason you spent time in the nomad community it lets you plug those years into your normal life path and as a as a tool for that it's just it, kind of priceless yeah and i think red kind of evolved as well i mean red still has everyone has the base family and uh, motivations um, enemies and, and lovers and friends um, but I think Red also evolved or I don't know if they took inspiration from specifically here on getting a, a role life path right but their life yeah. path for the role is more specific on what how they got that role and what their role involves versus this, which is more family uh, background and history. I, I think, I, I think it's weird earlier talking when we were talking about metas. Uh, honestly, I think the nomads in red are like more closely resemble metas than anything else. Like they become this very organized kind of, corporation of their own in in red uh as opposed to you know the 2020 nomad like it talks about nomads like running airlines and shit and space freighter and uh, like coming back and forth from orbit and i'm like wow that's those are really well-funded nomads yeah um so yeah, I, I I would still say that even if you're even if you're playing red, uh, you could probably still get a lot of, of use out of this book. Um, more so than a lot of the other Cyberpunk twenty twenty source books, because like books like Night City and uh, Home of the Brave, they're not really going to be relevant uh, in the time of red because well. Like Night City no longer looks anything like that, and the Home of the Brave, like that history is all, is all way in the past. But Nomads, like this book, along with like Wildside, like Nomads, Fixers, you're always going to want to be able to look, have a better look into into the that lifestyle. Yep. 
And the next chapter is Nomad Equipment. Uh, and it goes from the mundane, right? Which is all the way down to like the gun cleaning kit, uh, bungee cords, um, and all like the minutiae gear that is out there, which I know some playgroups do not care for. They they don't want the, the micromanagement or the microeconomy at times, but... Um, I, I can get that with other other styles of play, but in a Nomad game where basically if your character doesn't have it on him or on his vehicle, they don't have it at all. Right. Like that minutia becomes important. And what the gear section really does more than anything else is it kind of points out the kind of stuff that would be important to nomads that, you know, maybe players wouldn't think of. Things like uh, like distillation rigs and water purifiers. Like, those things are incredibly important, but maybe players wouldn't think of that. Um, especially, you know, younger players or players who don't do a lot of camping or traveling. Like, they wouldn't think of this kind of stuff. That's absolutely essential for survival. Yep. Um, and I like how they broke down the, the vehicle types, right? Um, yeah. And what that vehicle's role would be within the family and the convoy. Yeah, and then they go on to, like, they list specific vehicles. Um, but I mean, they're nomad vehicles and they're all hand cobbled together. So they're really just examples of stuff as opposed to, you know, they're not manufactured like this. This is just what they are. Different types. This is, this is, this kind of motorcycle is, it has this use within the nomad community. Um, or this, this dune buggy over here makes for a great scout vehicle. Uh, Whereas this bread truck looking thing is great for hauling gear. Um, I would have really liked a, a nomad version of Maximum Metal where they talk about, you know, give rules for vehicle construction. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the areas that the book kind of lacked. Well, I mean, a is, uh, vehicle is a vehicle, right? Um, well, sure. So a vehicle is I a vehicle. I don't see too much of a difference between um, Max Metal and any other vehicle that would be in-game, right? Here's the thing with that. Uh, I, I do. And that's because with Max Metal, like they're manufactured to be these armored vehicles. That's they have that has that is what it is. I'm not talking about necessarily stat wise. I'm talking about some rules for, you know, like hodgepodging and like scavenging materials and throwing like using stop signs as, as makeshift armor on the side of your car or, you know, what would the what would the what would the what would the rules look like for you know wrapping the roof of your van in barbed wire so people can't jump on it things like that that's uh, supercharging the engine um, coming up with a ram device I, or uh... 
Yeah, adding adding to the front of your truck. I mean, simple things like that. I would have liked to have seen rules in the book for that. Because uh, it's it's different when you're doing it when you're just like grabbing shit and scavenging shit and welding it onto your car as opposed to you know what you're going to get at a car dealership. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen those rules represented somewhere. Um, we haven't mentioned it so far, but holy shit, do I love the art for this book. <laughs> like, overall, I think this book has the best art in the whole franchise. Um, well, maybe not the best, but it's definitely top three. It's more consistent, uh, I think, than yeah. It's 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 very consistent. It's um, all the artists seem to be on the same page and at about the same. I don't want to say level of talent, but definitely the same like area of influence and style. Yeah. Uh and it's got a lot of the veterans like Malcolm He who <clears throat> and, and David Ackerman like they're they're very uh very well represented here the cover by Mark Schumann like this cover the cover to uh to Neo Tribes the cover to Home of the Brave and the cover to Land of the Free all kind of like fit together yep of what America looks like outside of the city. Yeah, so um, any other things in the equipment? And, and the other thing I liked with this supplement versus like Wild Side and, and some of the others is it kind of condensed the various, I would say, game mechanics versus the fluff and background um, versus equipment and kind of centralize that. So if you pick up this source book, you know, you don't have to hunt through whatever pages to get to that one item that was listed in a blurb in the side page yeah. on page 53 that had nothing oh, to do with what you were Yeah. Freaking awful about that. Um, well, um, I, I get that they were trying to make it look like a magazine, so it works within that context. Yeah. But if you're trying to frantically find something, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah. Like, Whereas here, like you said, it's all centralized. Yeah, and 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 Wild Side, I think, is yeah, it kind of condensed the different tech and the subject headers. But it would have been nice to have an appendix similar to what they do here with the chapter is condense it all into one place so a, a person doesn't have to go hunting and pecking through the book to find it but that is one thing I liked about uh, this particular book uh, the next chapter is actually running nomads uh, and gives you kind of advice uh, on how to run a nomad campaign on how to deal with nomads in a group. Um, 
man, again, it's just like, um, listen up, you primitive screwhead. Great material for the ref referees uh, and giving yeah. you inspiration. It's uh, a great material for players. Like everybody should read this uh, section, even if even if you don't get any use out of the rest of the book. Um, if 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 you're gonna play a nomad, you need to understand this kind of stuff. You need to. It it, it helps you visualize how nomads fit into the world of Cyberpunk 2020 um, as individuals, and that's that's as, as important as it gets. I mean, they're one of the they're one of the primary roles, and this is this is the level of detail you need to really flesh that out. Yep. Plus, it's just a great read. Like this is this is uh, yeah, it, it's great advice, and it's great fluff. It's it's fun. Also, the thing that. I really I enjoy that our Talsorian did in most of their splat books was uh, maybe not most but some actually having a, a filmography and a bibliography um, yeah a little bit of inspiration in to get your game going yep so you can actually go off and read a particular book or, or go see a movie and that will give you inspiration on your campaign although in this one with one of the Filmographies is Escape from New York. Uh, I could yeah, kind of see I don't, like Raff and Nomad, but yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, they've got some other less obvious choices, uh, like Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, like Grapes of Wrath is really the ultimate nomad. Like, this is what life would be like. Uh, living as a nomad moving from place to place constantly um food always being scarce but nobody like your typical like cyberpunk player wouldn't think to wouldn't think of that they and that's really the blessing of this book is it thinks of shit that isn't typically like it doesn't immediately come to mind when thinking of a cyberpunk 2020 uh source inspiration yep um so that wraps up that chapter the next chapter is sample packs or families um and they give four of them and which kind of gives you inspiration and i guess it goes back to that point earlier around the raff and shiv and not having uh an example of it um the packs do get into a little bit of the culture of the pack as well as kind of gives you a general idea of what the pack owns uh, and what an individual within that pack would usually be carrying. Um, and the packs are the gargoyles, which uh, gargoyles are a construction pack. Uh, yeah. The lanes, which are an agro, agri pack force of nature is more or less uh native american um and then the technomancers which i often use in my game the technomancers are at least a, an offshoot of that type of group um just because i like the 
the concept of high-tech family, you know, going from city to city, taking yeah. the electronics that were left behind and the tech that was left behind and, and coming up with an alternative high-tech society, but in a, a nomad lifestyle. I, I liked... I like these examples. I mean, the the Blaines are really just a generic, typical, like, agricultural family. But it's a good write-up of them. Like, it gives a good, rich history. Uh, like, it's something you could plug into your game, and, like, everybody can immediately relate to that. Yeah. Um, and I love the same art with example the Blaines. Blaines. Yeah, yeah, the art example's fantastic. It really... It really evokes that Grapes of Wrath feel. Yep. Um, the force of nature. Uh, I mean, nobody thinks about, you know, the Native American community in Shadowrun is a big deal, but in Cyberpunk 2020, it's it's kind of overlooked a lot. So having that representation here is, is nice. Well, I think they do talk about it, and I, it might be part of the folk nation that kind of absorbed... Um, a little bit of that yeah. culture into them. Um, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, and the Snake Nation. Um, but the folk, yeah. The only, the weird one are the Technomancers. And I expand, like, I love the idea of the Technomancers so much that I, I kind of, I expanded on them and eventually ended up kind of taking them in a weird direction. Um, but like the art for it just evoked this, uh, I love the Technomancers. Um, the art is very evocative of, uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically it was, uh, Hayao Miyazaki's magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the guy behind like Mononoke and uh, Howl's Moving Castle and all that? It's it's it was his very first work and it's what made him famous. But like all the characters wear these crazy air uh, air filters on their face, um, and the the chick in the picture is wearing one that looks just like you know it came from that anime or manga, uh, and it talks about them just having this like innate ability to work with machines. And I, I personally like just ran with that. And yeah, you, if you want to, you can read my version of the Technomancers on both dust in the wind and nomad market write-ups. But yeah, I, I, I very much liked these sample packs um, and the write-ups it gave them. They're very rich in history. Uh, Welcome back, games. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I didn't go anywhere. Um, yeah, any of these, you can plug and play right into your campaign, and they're written well enough that it just is a springboard for, for more. Yep. Or even developing an offshoot, like, like I... Yeah. So, 
I have a, a nomad family that the group has encountered called the tri tribe of the gear, right? And their premises, they're they're great with uh, drones and remotes. So they nice. have a lot of uh, techies and 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 net runners in the organization. So, yeah, um, definitely great little fluff and kind of takes it from the nations to a, sm a smaller level so you can think about how to create a family based off of what you've learned in the previous pages of this book and then the final chapter which is basically a 14 page uh, scenario uh, around Chicago um, it gets into a little bit of the background of Chicago and then uh, and I must apologize it's been decades since I've actually read this and I, I started reading this book again um, however I couldn't get to this chapter before the show so um, I know at kind of a high level that the, the there's a corporation the storm technologies um, looking to salvage uh, Chicago and players are basically wrapped up into the going on on rebuilding that city. A little, a little bit of a backstory for play for uh, listeners who are not as familiar with the Cyberpunk 2020 world and haven't read Home of the Brave. Chicago was the site of a bio plague that pretty much wiped the city out and the government even before the collapse just kind of abandoned chicago they walled it off uh nobody in or out and just left it to rot which is why of course this adventure which is the premise of this adventure is that you know the players are part of a nomad group going in to salvage what's left of chicago um it's a good adventure uh it led directly to um, what was the greatest single game I ever ran? Um, so you did you actually as part run of the scenario? I, 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 I didn't run the scenario. Well, I, I ran the scenario, uh, yes. Um, but I kind of like just quickly got through it, um, to get to. They kind of talk about the Sears Tower and about, you know, strange things going on and nobody wants to get near it. Uh, they don't make that necessarily part of the adventure, um, like focus on it or anything, but that's where my adventure went. Like I used this as a springboard to get to uh, what my players still talk about to this day, which was the raid on Sears Tower, uh, where in my game, in, in, the, in the adventure I was running... I had written uh, Sears Towers being taken over by the survivors of Chicago. Uh, and they became this giant like, cannibal fortress where, you know, anybody who's foolish enough to enter Chicago basically becomes lunch for the people, for what few survivors are left living in the Chicago Tower. And because the bottom floors, with the exception of some secret ways in or out, known by the people who live there, there was no way, like, the players couldn't figure out how to get in, so they had to parachute in from above, and then it was just them running the gauntlet from the top of the Sears Tower to the bottom, basically. 
Um, so but what made it memorable? Ex inspiration from what was that movie, The Raid? No, this was this was I did this in the nineties. Oh. Um, I I don't remember exactly what my inspiration was. Uh, I mean, a little bit, I guess. Escape from New York. Um, but really, it just was. It was more of a horror. It was the first time I ever ran a horror-based campaign. Um, it was real slow. We turned off the lights. Uh, just the players had flashlights because it, it was dark and like all the craziness. Um, and they kept coming across these crazy totems made out of wire and shit. Uh, at one point, they were coming down a hallway and the sun was uh, coming up on the other side. And so all they see is this crazy bloated silhouette of a person just kind of floating in the air. Uh, and nobody wants to approach it. It just kind of moves and make noise every now and then. Um, and like one of the players got so freaked out, we had to like turn on the lights and like give him a minute. I've never, I didn't intentionally trigger this guy. And in hindsight, um, I, I feel kind of bad about it, but like he got seriously freaked out over it. Um, he had just seen, uh, we had just gone to see, uh, Blair Witch Project. Oh, okay. And it was still early enough that they were touting the Blair Witch Project as, you know, this real thing that happened and the footage was real and all that. Uh, so we had that imagery fresh in our heads and I was, I was playing on that. Um, and it turned out that the the thing was just a bunch of wires in the shape of a human being, like suspended by thin wires, uh, just as a totem. But it freaked them out. They were like, approaching it inch by inch. They were throwing things at it. It, it. it was good stuff. It was the most memorable game I've ever played. It sounds kind of stupid in description, but it was it was a good game. Yeah. This wasn't cyberpunk, but I had a similar experience in which um, some of the players in the GM kind of got triggered. Um, so basically it was uh, the FASA Star Trek RPG. And the GM was kind of trying to make, I don't know, tried, tried to put horror into Star Trek. So there was, uh, I forget, one of the red shirts who was... Uh, dying on on the operating table and then died um and we found out he was doing some sabotage and he was into like satanism and oh, all of a sudden you know the the gm at the time was like oh all of a sudden his stat you know his his readout goes to normal he sits straight up in the in the chair with like bloodshot eyes and like trying to portray horror and all of a sudden, all the lights went out in the house. So there was like nice. a powder outage. And I'm sitting there going, doo, 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 you know, making little scary noises. And both <laughs> the, the other player and the GM were like, shut up. And when the lights came on like an hour later, they were like, okay, he falls back down and dies. I'm like, what? what? Of course, this was back when I was still a, a teenager or tween. Um, but yeah, you can trigger people 
very interesting. Even yeah. though you don't think, you know, you think it's a game, but. I mean, and sometimes, you know, triggering them is, it's like going to a horror movie. Sometimes that's, yeah. that's a beneficial outcome. Um, other times it's, like there's good triggers and bad triggers, yeah. even, even with horror. Um, we talked about, like, some things you don't want to trigger. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about that extensively in the past. Hell, that was the basis of one of our early shows. Yeah. Uh, so. Them good old days. Yeah, so that's um, that's pretty much it for uh, Neo Tribes. Um, I like that there's a, you know a fourteen page scenario, and basically it's a campaign. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it, it's a it's a good long, like you can run several episodes on this, and it it can definitely lead into like an ongoing you know campaign. It's it's the perfect kind of jumping on point. For a beginning nomad game. Yeah. So overall, I feel, okay. I feel like we should tackle one of the more controversial aspects of the book, which is, um, there's a there's a quote in the book that often gets taken out of context, and I'm I'm trying to find it. Uh, it's in the it's in the oh. history. Yes, the history on how in the very America first... collapsed because uh, it was all about the me generation. I don't think they yeah. used the me generation, but it turned into, hey, everyone feels entitled and everyone feels special. And that was the cause of the collapse of the U.S. Um, I, I, I've never asked him about it. Um. I've never, I've never pressed him on the issue, uh, so I don't know. But I get the feeling, like uh, the the section we're talking about is is uh, on page seven. There's a little blurb or a little. There's a couple of paragraphs under the heading of diversity and unity. Yes, and it's 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 taken out of context by by assholes who just want to be assholes basically um they'll 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 quote this one small part uh where they'll quote it is now accepted among historical scholars that in decades before the collapse america suffered from the sickness of racism and cultural identity everyone wanting to be seen as special uh every group had to be equal or preferably better than its neighbors and fought to protect its special rights and if anyone had something that anyone else wanted, they were painted as racist, sexist, elitist, or worse. This divided, divisive me-first attitude eventually tore the fabric of American culture apart and caused it to self-destruct in a fireball of competing ideologies, none of which truly recognized each other's validity. Diversity led inexorably to anarchy. I fucking hate when this quote gets brought up because it's just taken as that. Um... And it's 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 seen from a very myopic point of view, and knowing Ross, I'm pretty sure that was written by the other guy. Uh, it's also falsely attributed to being part of the Cyberpunk 2020 source book a lot, and to as being written by Mike Sponsmith. Neither of those things are true. Right. Um, 
the book is, as a whole, and in fact, Cyberpunk 2020 as a whole, is very anti-racist. It's very, it's very much about individuality and diversity. The uh, and and diversity. I mean, the entire the entire ethos of Cyberpunk 2020 is style over substance. That is a very individualistic point of view to take. Um, as uh, the, the that same chapter in the very next paragraph, uh, it talks about. Um, how important diversity is, especially among the nomad community. Yep. So uh, these right-wing assholes want to bring this stuff up when everywhere else in the entire franchise, they talk about how important diversity is, how important... Uh, inclusiveness. Like They don't use the word inclusiveness, but they definitely talk. They definitely give the impression of, you know, everything is represented here, and it's it's the way. That's just the way it is. It's a very cyberpunk as a genre in itself is going to take a very. It's going to be seen from the viewpoint of the individual yeah. and how important the individual is as a whole while at the same time that individual is being crushed under the depths of you know an oppressive system an oppressive state or a corporate power uh it is the individuals banding together to fight that that make up what cyberpunk what the cyberpunk ethos is So, that's so I just I had to bring that up uh, because I, I see it get put up a lot to the point that like I actually had like copy pasted like quotes from the books that completely contradict that one little fucking paragraph yep. that really doesn't fit anywhere. I, I don't know why it exists. I've never understood it. Um, even in the context of the book, it's so out of place with the rest of what's going on that it just kind of hurts. I mean, the cyberpunk books as a whole uh, feature... They were they were promoting um, inclusiveness really before any other game systems I'd ever seen. Um, I've talked earlier... We've talked about how... Uh, in the in the adventure book uh tales from the forlorn hope that you know our little podcast is kind of takes a riff off of one of the main npcs is transgender and i that she was the first transgender character i'd ever seen in an rpg and she was treated with respect and dignity yep. uh it wasn't a joke um hell it's the one of the other source books uh when gravity fails based off the Alec Effinger books, uh, they feature transgender characters and they are not treated as jokes. They are fully fleshed out characters. Um, minorities of all types, sexualities of all types are fully represented in these books. And they were done so at a time when that was really unheard of in the RPG uh, circles. Like, Yeah, agreed. So... 
sorry about that little rant there. I just felt like it was important because, like I said, it, that quote gets brought up a lot, and it's always by people who don't understand the game or well, the context within it. It also shows you that this comment has been around for ages. Even You can even read, like, I forget if it's Plato or, or one of the Greek uh, theologists. He basically talks about society and how society is and even about kids how the you know kids are running amok and doing all this crazy stuff and no one controls them and you know again you can see oh, yeah. through the ages these things are always brought up and they're always there and i mean honestly when when your argument is that uh you know, showing fair representation to everybody is a bad thing. You kind of lost before you started. Right. Okay. So anything else around Neo tribes? Um, you should have this book. If you doing anything nomad, I mean, uh, it's in my top five cyberpunk 2020 uh, supplements of all time. Uh, especially as far as like the splat books go, like, uh, the fluff material, like this is this home of the brave and night city are my three favorite source books that are non tech oriented. Whereas so. I would replace Neo tribe with wild side. And I'm a city boy. Actually, I would replace home of the brave with wild side. Uh, yeah. Or I would just add Wild Side as number four. That's really, that's the that's the trick right there. Wild Side is number four. Yeah. Or at least a tie in a four way tie for the same place because I love all these books. But my love for Neo Tribes is obvious to anybody who's been to Data Fortress twenty twenty and or anybody who's ever talk to me about nomads at all i love this book i love the art i love the i love the fluff i love the technical information there is nothing about this book that i don't love except that one paragraph you heard it from us definitely get this book just uh cut out or black out the uh paragraph on page seven <laughs> and you'll be good um, so, uh, wrapping up, uh, next time, <clears throat> I don't, we haven't solidified a specific topic, so, um, one of the topics that I think we, whether or not we get a possible interview with someone in the community, um, we might be doing an AMA of the Interlock, Unli Interlock Unlimited, uh, <laughs> rule set that was created by wisdom and a plethora of other people as well. So, I love collaborative efforts. Yep. So we'd like to thank uh, Rob over at uh, cyberpunk nation uh, for hosting us on his t Twitch channel. Um, you can catch me on my cybersmiley.net site. Uh, which you can find a bunch of various utilities for Cyberpunk 2020 and Cyberpunk Red. 
Um, I'm on the various uh, Cyberpunk Reddits, Cyberpunk Red and Cyberpunk 2020 Reddits. Also on a plethora of Discord servers, so if you type in at CyberSmiley, good chance you're going to hit me. Um, I don't do Twitter or Facebook. I just can't stand those platforms. Um, so that's it from my side. Wisdom? Uh, I'm Wisdom Triple Zero. Uh, you can, of course, uh, find my works at datafortress2020.com. Um, I am easy to reach uh, either at wisdom triple zero at gmail.com or uh, I'm on Facebook uh, where I also mod. I'm the administrator for the data Fortress 2020 Facebook group. I'm a mod for the cyberpunk 2020 face group, Facebook group, and I'm a member of many others. Uh, I'm on discord, although I don't pay a lot of attention to it most of the time. Um, so if you send me a message through there, it may be a couple of days before I, I'm able to get it and respond. Uh, but I love talking to anyone who has any questions or just wants to talk about Cyberpunk 2020. Um, yeah. Please reach out to us, people. Uh, if you've got ideas for future shows, if you've got um, questions uh, about our podcast or about uh, anything we've covered, um, or just looking for advice, reach out to us uh either individually or, you know, something we'll cover on air and uh, we will we will try and make that happen. Um, that we will. Yeah, so on um, Cyber Nation's uh, Discord, we do have a channel for this show, so you can also reach us there as well. Well, um, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Yep. Ciao.